This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah. And check out RabbiYomTov.com for tonight's live webinar, two hours. It's going to be, uh, I don't know what time Eastern Standard, but uh, I know what time it is here. It's going to be, it starts at 1 a.m., which is crazy because I'm teaching this hour. Then I start a Hebrew women's seminar. I run personal transformation seminars. And so I have a, a four and a half hour seminar starting at six tonight till 10.30. 11, I'm doing a two hour webinar for international graduates of the seminar. And then I'm doing a two hour webinar for, you know, internationals who are working on, it's called, it's called Living Inspired. It's uh, principles in life, having an inspired life. Anyway, so that's going on tonight. And uh, God should give me a lot of strength, because it requires strength. Yeah, what time is that? 1 a.m. is going to be 6 p.m. Eastern? Okay, cool. Anyway, so what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about astrology, but not, not a ton of detail in, as far as the uh, mystical side of astrology. Now, astrology is, uh, you know, the, it's, it has to do with the zodiac, and the zodiac is the stars, the constellations in the sky, and they're shifting like on a pinwheel. So like if you had, if you, the stars as they shift, what happens is there's certain energies that are coming down with the shift of the stars. And each one of us has our own constellation we're connected to based on the month we're born, but even it has more specific on, for the day of that month, and even more specific the hour of that month. And each one of us has that specific influence hitting us, like whether we like it or not. Now, there is a way out if you're Jewish, which is, sounds really strange, but Jews get out of the Zodiac if they choose. You can actually get out from the Zodiac's harm. I'm glad we're talking about this because I used to teach a lot of classes on this, and I realized as I'm speaking that I haven't done it in a while. Um, let me give you a little background. Abraham's walking around, you know, he's just, hanging out, and all of a sudden, he gets the voice of God, and God's like, Abraham, Abraham, yeah, and he says, he says to him that, <laughs> he says to him that you're going to have a child, and Abraham says, this is interesting. I haven't taught this in a while. Because Abraham had a child, Yishmael. So I'm starting to confuse this conversation with the angels that told Abraham he's going to have another child with his barren wife, Sarah. So I don't know how it works exactly, but Abraham says back that he's... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it goes like this. That he says, my... My heavenly body in the Zodiac is Jupiter. Now, Abraham was a master of the Zodiac. And so he knew via astrology that he was really only meant to have one child. Now, he had a child. That was Ishmael. And God says back to him, Take your protein pill and put your helmet on. And Abraham starts like flying up above the zodiac and he goes up and up above the constellations and 
and he, his heavenly body was Jupiter, which in Hebrew is called Tzedek. And based on the position of Jupiter in the, in the sky, it, Abraham would only have one child. And God like goes like, and Jupiter goes like, and this is just, again, this is an oral tradition that God like moves Jupiter. And Abraham's like, I guess I'll be having another child. Now, Abraham went above the Zodiac at that point. And he did have another child. That was Isaac, Jacob. And they're all above Zodiac. That line, that birth line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, above Zodiac. Twelve tribes above Zodiac. We go down to Egypt as a family. Jacob's family goes to Egypt, 70 souls. And then they start getting involved in, over the generation, they got involved in idolatry. Well, you can't be above the Zodiac if you're involved in idolatry. Because, I mean, think about it. Just doing idolatry means that you're ascribing power to something other than God, who's obviously above the Zodiac. So once you're ascribing power to something that's below the Zodiac, or the Zodiac itself, if you're ascribing power to the Zodiac, well, now you're trapped in the Zodiac. And so what happened was the whole Jewish nation lost their ability to be beyond the Zodiac. Sinai comes, and at the revelation of Sinai, all the Jewish people, again, go above the Zodiac. And then... To stay above the Zodiac requires that you avoid the 365 negative commandments, which is amazing because it has to do with the year. 365 is the number of negative commandments. 365 is the number of the spinning of the earth around the sun, meaning the spinning of the planets, our solar system around the sun. is 365. Well, there's 365 negative commandments. And what our Torah is saying is that if you can avoid these 365 things, well, then you are not under the sun. Committing one of the transgressions of the 365 is tantamount to just locking yourself into this world. So while you should not be reading your horoscope in the newspaper, because it has nothing to do with you, if you're not keeping or avoiding the 365... You're under the Zodiac. So you might as well start reading your horoscope. <laughs> Which is pretty interesting. Now there are some who say that Jews are even more influenced by the Zodiac than Gentiles. Why? Because, because you have the potential to be totally uninfluenced. If you are being influenced, you're going to be influenced like in a police headlock influence. I mean, you're going to be highly influenced. In that. And you may notice, I certainly noticed this as a rabbi helping Jews, most of whom are not observant, um, that they're always in the throes of stuff that my observant colleagues are not in the throes of. They're always in the throes of stuff. They're always on these like wild roller coaster rides of in that much of which are affecting their moods and their emotional stability. Not to mention other strange things happening to them, but like really funky stuff going on in their lives. And that's just not happening to my colleagues who are, when I say my colleagues, my meaning my my friends who are uh, co-observant observant Jews. Now, it's not that we don't have moods, and it's not that we don't have crazy stuff happening too, but it's just not on that level. And also, when, some, when you're fully observant of the 365, which means you're outside the Zodiac, and then stuff hits the fan, you know it's, it's, that's tikkunim. Then you know you have to fix something. The word in Hebrew for those rectifications are called tikkunim. That means you got to deal with something because you're fixing your soul. 
Now, there's a big difference between tikkunim, fixing your soul, or just having a bunch of stuff hit the fan, because it's your zodiac day to have everything hit the fan. You get the difference? Meaning, the, the, the zodiac influence on your life is random stuff. Whereas, meaning it has to do with your, the stars. Whereas, if you're clear of the stars and, and stuff's hitting, hitting the fan, so that's, that's already stuff that God's sending. That's God's sending. That is orchestrated events. Okay? That's stuff coming down from the creator who's got your address. What's up? Welcome, gentlemen. How's it going? Sit down. You want to sit, Jack? Yeah. He's one of my dearest, most loyal students in the world. This guy. Hope you get to stay in Israel a long time. I don't know how much your work affords that. Now, what we're basically at is that the Zodiac's either ruling your life or you're above it. And the way you get above it is by avoiding the 365 negative commandments. So if someone came up to me and said, Rabbi Glazer, tell me, I'm going to do one or the other. I'm either going to do the positive commandments, and I'm going to put on tefillin, and I'm going to make kiddish, and I'm going to give tzedakah, and I'm going to shake a lulav, and I'm going to do all that stuff. I'm going to stay in a sukkah during Sukkot holiday. Or I'm going to avoid all the negative commandments. I'm going to not eat pig, not eat non-kosher meat, and I'm going to not break Shabbos, and I'm going to not, et cetera, et cetera, all the nots, all the don't do's. Which one should I do? So which one would I tell him? Which one? The negatives. I'd say definitely don't worry about the positives. Avoid the negatives. Why? Because once you avoid the negatives, now you're free. You're free. You're just, you're unbound. And you're, and you're now, meaning there's no, there's no, nothing clogging the arteries of the relationship with God. And the likelihood of someone doing the positive commandments once stuff's not in the way. Now, I'd like to bring up Yom Kippur real quick, and that is that the Gentiles should really complain. They should say, how come the Jews get a full factory reset once a year while the Jews, while the Gentiles, I mean, they like face God at the end of their life. Everyone faces God. But the Gentiles face God when they die. And the Jews face God once a year. Rosh Hashanah is kind of like greet the king. And Yom Kippur is when it's all kind of, you know, decided. And, and you get a clean slate for the year after Yom Kippur. Why do we get this factory reset? And so the answer is, is that we have 365 negative commandments, thousands of laws, and all of those things can go wrong. I mean, think how much can go wrong for a Jew, inadvertently, without even trying to do something wrong. Think how much, uh, we've got a couple seats here, there's a spot there. So I don't know whose backpack that is, but it should definitely get moved for the next contestant. So, the, thank you. Do I want water? I want water badly, but um, I don't know where you're going to find any. You figure something out? Thank you. And just to finish that thought is that we have so many things that can go wrong in a week. What you can do wrong as a Jew in like a week, or let's say even a year, a Gentile couldn't get all that done in a, in a lifetime. 
So, what do you mean by that? What I mean is a Gentile, they only have five negative commandments. They can't be cruel to animals. They can't serve idols. They can't steal, commit adultery, or kill. Well, as long as they're not doing that, they're in good shape. There's no, there's nothing clogging their arteries. Whereas a Jew has thousands and thousands of things that, that he or she can do wrong without even knowing they're doing it wrong, which clogs them up. That's why Gentiles are generally more spiritual than secular Jews. Gentiles are more spiritual than Jews, usually. Why? Because Jews have a tremendous amount of plaque between them and God because they, they, they can transgress very easily a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. While, while Gentiles, they're more or less clean to connect to God. You know, unless they're like serving idols. Thank you so much. Save my life. Oh, um, someone asked a, someone, who was that? Yeah. So, um, like, well, you kind of just touched on it. Uh, but it's like, you're right, we do get a factor of reset, but it depends at all on us on how we decide to use that reset, positively or negatively. Thank God we all get it. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's great. And we all get a factory reset, and, and some of us are going to take it and run with it, and some of us will blow it. But God's kind and compassionate, so he lets you go into an incubator. Did I just say an incubator? Mm-hmm. He lets you go into a nursery, a baby nursery, for a week after Yom Kippur. You actually have a chance to just, like, chill in, in your holiness. Like, now that you're so holy, you know, when you have a newborn baby, you don't just put it on the street. It goes to the nursery for a few days. Special environment, extra care. I like the sukkah. Yeah, the sukkah is the nursery. So, yeah, you're, you're fresh and you're clean, but you want to go straight into a sukkah. There is a four-day time. By the way, the Kabbalists say, you know, each day of the week has an energy. Each week has an energy. Each month has an energy. Everything has energy. And we're really into these energies. But those four days have no energy. The first day is called Yud, the second day is called Hey, the third day is called Vav, and the fourth day is called Hey. It's just, you're just, once you finish Yom Kippur, you're in this like little timeless corridor to just enough time to build a sukkah and just enough time to like buy a Lulav and asteroid and just enough time to cook a bunch of meals. Well, before. Right before Sukkot, you have a four day spot. This year, one of those days will be Shabbat. This day we have three days to get ready and one day Shabbat. Yeah, which is only kind of a day Friday because you got to get Shabbat ready. Those four days have no influence outside? Yeah, those four days are outside the realm. So if somebody, let's say, has an evil eye or something like that, nothing's going to happen to them? Oh, like that? I don't know. But you can always go to the... You can just go to the evil eye lady. You know, there's an, my next door neighbor is an evil eye lady. She takes, uh, she takes molten lead and throws it into cold water. What? I live next... Well, there's many of these ladies. I think you tip her or something. She does it for to help people. She doesn't, she's my next-door neighbor, I think. What's up? What's up? Welcome. What? Be my guest. You can go visit her. They throw molten lead into cold water. Makes this crazy sound. And then it... Uh, 
it makes these lit, like weird formations and she can see what she can see if it's it'll come in the form of like people that might have a begrudging eye but uh, but an evil eye on you but they, anyway the best thing is the best way to protect yourself from an evil eye is not to believe in it so ideally you don't believe it you're too late so <laughs> if you're Sparty also forget about it so the Spartim are really scared of evil eye so I know he's all strung up over here. so <laughs> That's why you also get the blue console. Oh, there's all kinds of tricks. Yeah. I got more here. I'm sure you do. Oh, I have no doubt. You have plenty of little toads and stuff. Where is that urina originate from? Anyway, you want to avoid, you want to, the best way to avoid evil eyes is not to believe in it. The second way is if you already believe in it, is to be extremely modest, especially with your stuff. And your looks, like like if you have, or your brains, like just play it down, play it down. You got a gift to contribute, contribute. But when people say, "Whoa, man, that was amazing," you just say, "Thank God." <laughs> just play it down. You know, you want to just be as modest as possible. You don't want anyone catch. You don't want anyone noticing you too much, other than for your contribution. But make it a good contribution. That's fine if people recognize you for a contribution. You know, you're making the world a better place, great. There's nothing wrong with people recognizing that. But certainly, try to match the level of cars your neighbors drive. You know, if you really, really need a better car, keep it somewhere else. Don't keep it in the neighborhood and definitely don't drive it around. Well, buy your neighbors the same car. Well, you'd have to buy all your neighbors the same um, anyway, but yeah, they, you, you want to be careful of that. And if you just can't help it, you've got to build a mansion. So you make the basement a hall for families who can't afford halls for bar mitzvahs and, and uh, you know, different life cycle events, classes, whatever. You turn your basement into a hall. And you, you understand, if you do wind up with a fancy car, you drive people around. Take the rabbi to synagogue. You can get them there faster in a Maserati. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very true. So, or if you got a Range Rover, you know, I had a I had a guy who he doesn't drive his own Range Rover. He uh, he's driven in it, and and he uh, and so I I was kind of late for a flight, and it was all snow, and I'm thinking there's nothing like that Range Rover to get me to to JFK. So so I actually asked the guy who'd like almost never driven in his own car, and I'm like. You might just get me to JFK today. And he's like, okay, no problem. And he laughed his whole way to the airport. He's like, I finally drive my car and I'm driving someone else. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you want to you drive the rabbi somewhere. Not necessarily this rabbi. I have, I have a car. Okay. Um, okay, enough about the evil eye. So what's going on is there's energy flowing and it's flowing down the zodiac. Now, as far as its influence on you, that influence is supposed to be zero influence because you're careful with the negative commandments. And as long as you're careful with great precision and with the negative commandments, you're all good. You don't have to worry about it. You're just free. And it's an amazing feeling because you're just not as vulnerable as everyone else to like the, the crazy st- storm winds of life. Oh, Thank you. nice. Thank you. So... 
you're 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 not getting you're not you know what I mean? It's like you're safe. And any storm wind that hits you, it's directly from the creator. So you're like, okay, like I can deal with that storm wind. Okay, that point we made. Now, spiritually, Kabbalists are very into aligning with energy. And if you're not a Kabbalist, so you align also with energy. It's just maybe not on that detail. Maybe not on that level. Like, for example, um, this week, I don't know if I have a list of all the mm, energies of this month. Uh, yes, give me that cedar-based iron with the red tape. Yeah, that might have the energies of the month. So, for example, God's name, the one that's most famous, is the Yud and the Hay and the Vav and the Hay. Yud and Hay. Vav and Hay. Well, that's four and there's four weeks. So each week has an energy. Now, each month has its own combination of those four letters. So this month, for example, kind of going on a limb because I have no idea if it's listed in this particular city, but let's see. This month, for example, is... I knew it before, and I already forgot. Today is the, today's the, tonight's the new moon, by the way. It's the 15th, is tonight. Uh, here we go. Uh, Hallel, Musa. Because when we make the blessing for the new month, they're like, why are we making blessings on the moon? You know, I thought that's what the Gentiles do. Nope, we have a blessing on the moon and we, every month, and we have a blessing on the sun. Every 28th year, it goes back to the place it was, 6,000 years ago, meaning we're now in 5778. So the position of the sun on the day God said, you know, on the fourth day, that fourth day, the sun was in a particular position, and believe it or not, it returns to that position every 28 years, to that exact spot. And at sunrise, this entire city is awake, and everyone's just waiting to get that glimpse. When you get the glimpse, you make a blessing on the sun. When is the next time? No, no, the, on the horizon, it's not a big deal. What year is that? What year is coming up? What year is the next time? I don't know. No, it was like Passover, like Yom Kippur. Oh, you're saying 2009? I couldn't figure out what you're saying. 2009, so 20... It's every 27 years, 28 years? I remember we all came into the portal to do that. You're so lucky. How was it? It was amazing. I, I didn't, mine did not go so well. Can you imagine that not going well? So I'm like, well, that's okay. In another 28 years, we'll try again. You know, it was so, I was so bummed. What happened was I was with a bunch of people who were like so excited to make the blessing on the sun that instead of making the blessing like as a group, people were just like making it separately. Now all the women there, we're waiting to do it together. Like, they thought, for sure we'll do it together. I'm like, for sure we'll do it together. Yeah. And the men are just like, oh, there it is. Baruch Ata. And so nothing. So it was like a non-event. Because just a man making a blessing. You can make a blessing on a banana. You know, you don't need the sun for a blessing. So I thought it was going to be all excited. So what did I do? I gathered all the women and I said, okay, we're going to do it together. Ready? Go. <laughs> Me and all the ladies in my community. You know, all these old widows and stuff. I live with a lot of widows. It's not in here. Okay. The combination of the four letters of this month. Wait, I know what it is. It's hay. Okay, I didn't know this. Sorry. It's the f- second hay, 
you know, there's two Hays, so you got to figure out which is which. So, so two weeks ago, when the new month hit, it was that energy of the week was the f- first Hay of God's name. La- the week that ends this evening is the last Hay. You know, so it's normally Yud and Hay and Vav and Hay. So that last Hay is now ending. The energy of that Hay is ending tonight. And uh, when tonight goes in, we're heading into. I can't remember if it was the Vav or the Yud, either the Vav or the Yud, and then a week from now it'll be the Yud or the Vav. I can't remember which one was which. But it's not just that. There's a, the day gets broken into 12 hours. Do you know how long uh, an hour is right now? I know most of you probably think it's 60 minutes. Leave it to the Jews to like make that complicated. It's not 60 minutes. Right now we're in the spring. Spring, so winter solstice, the moon, go, the day is about 50, an hour is about 52 minutes. Summer solstice is about an hour and 12 minutes or something. But now we're in the, we're in the fall. And the fall, it's going to be quite close to 60 minutes right now. I think right now it's about, uh, I forget what it is right now. But it's not 60 minutes. Well, what, do you, what does anyone care? And the answer is, if you're a big Kabbalist, so you're, you're shifting your awareness every hour based on the flow of that hour. Now, remember I said if you're a big Kabbalist, you're really into the flow of the Zodiac? Well, what if you're not a big Kabbalist? The answer is that you are still involved with flow. You know why? Because Rosh Hashanah is a flow. And Yom Kippur is a flow. And Sukkot is a flow. And Hanukkah is a flow. And Pesach is a flow. These are all flows. Now, why am I calling them flows? How do you say the word flow in Hebrew? Mazal. The word flow in Hebrew is mazal. And the root of the word flow is zal. That's the flow. Mazal is a, a mem before it means to, the cause of flow, which is the zodiac. The zodiac's the cause of the flow. Really, God's the cause of the flow. But when you're down here, so it looks like the zodiac's causing the flow. You understand? The word mazal is cause, cause of flow. And so... The zodiac, which is the term, this means both flow and it means the zodiac. It means flow and zodiac. Literally, it means flow, but figuratively, it means zodiac. That's mazal. Is that why people say mazal? So, like, saying have a good flow? Yeah, they're saying good flow. (laughs) Good flow. It's kind of like Northern California. Good flow, brother. Got some good flow going, anyway. But uh, but what happens is the that when good things are happening, we say mazal tov that there's good flow. And generally, people you notice when you're in the zone, good stuff comes your way. So that's mazal tov. Mazal tov means good things are happening your way. May it continue. And uh, I mean, it's already happened because you're saying mazal tov. Like today, I was at a circumcision, a bris. So everyone said mazal tov. Now, what do they say back to you? Mazal tov. See, in the secular world, everyone thinks when they, when they have a wedding or a bris or a bar mitzvah, when you say mazel tov, then they say thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here we bless each other. So when you say mazel tov to them, they say mazel tov to you. That's the guy with all the mazels giving, wants you to have good mazel and good flow. And we just recently, last week, we discussed a woman who got taken before her time by accident because <laughs> the messenger of the angel of death mistaked her for someone else. And so 
And so the so the question was asked, like, how'd you do it though? It's before her time. How do you take someone before their time? And he said, well, she was uh, cleaning out an oven with a poker. You know, like in those days, they had like those stone ovens, you know, so she was cleaning it out. And the thing was getting red hot, the poker. And she accidentally touched it to her foot. So she was injured, which means her mazel was down. And that gave me the ability to pull her out. So, so, there's, so there's like good flow and then there's not such a good flow. And because that's why if someone's injured, something, something goes wrong. You know, watch out. That's when you want to be, you know, you get, you, and you can be extra careful. And there's other things you can do is don't be alone. If you notice your mazel's down, the, the dark side can't mess with you if you're with somebody. And that's why, for example, the ultimate mazel down is being dead. Like, try not to be dead. Being dead is always a bummer. So we, uh, we actually protect dead bodies by having someone always with them. We never let any dead body be alone. And, and we also bury it quickly because it's highly susceptible. Now, what is it susceptible to? And the answer is it's susceptible to souls that are stuck in a parallel realm that looks just like this classroom. Everything down here, how, do, how does light become matter? How do we have a physical room? It's because there's all these parallel worlds. And those parallel worlds come down the system. They flow. And there's, but there's parallel worlds that, you know, starts looking more like our world and more like our world and more like our world and then a world that looks just like our world and then a world that's exactly like our world. And then there's our world. So someone who can get stuck from our world right above our world, someone could get stuck there. Well, the only way they can get back to the spirit world, back to the soul world, they can't come back into our world, but... The way they can get back at least to the soul world so they're not stuck there forever is on the back of an unconscious person or a dead person. So we now, the last thing you want is to show up upstairs and find out you're somebody else because someone hitched a ride with you. I mean, who is this person and what are they doing attached to my soul? So you, we protect dead bodies from getting these attachments. And these are... No, that's not. No, you're stuck there forever. I mean, you're, you're, that's not. Tikkun means a rectification means it's going to be rectified. That's not a rectification. This isn't death. They're not dead. Someone in that. If you know someone's in that realm, you don't say Kaddish for him. You don't sit Shiva for him. You don't nothing. Meaning the guy died and we did a funeral, and we don't practice any of the death stuff. No Kaddish, no Shiva, no nothing, because he's still here. You just can't see him. This is part of the reason why any of you feel drawn to Shuk Machane Yehuda. Anyone here feel they're drawn to go hang out there in the Shuk? Yeah. yeah. So they're drawn there too. And you're probably drawn there because of them. There are way, I know it gets crowded in there, but there are way more people in the Shuk than you realize. Yeah, there's a lot of people. They, they like being around people because no one sees them, no one touches them, no one feels them, no one connects to them because they don't see anyone. No, they see everyone, no one sees them. So they like to be in crowded spots. So they hang out in crowds. Well, then we wouldn't be interacting with you. Yeah, if I answered your question, then you're not in limbo. Anyway, so anyway, you want to stay out of there. By the way, the number one way to stay out of there is do not 
end your life before it's over. The human being's allowed to choose what you can choose. Yeah, you can choose whatever you want in your life. You can literally choose anything you want, but one thing you are not allowed to choose is to end it. You have to stay for the whole duration, no matter how bad it is. And so, so suicide is is the ticket in there. Now, there is not every suicide you should know goes in there because there are people who commit suicide but regret it and then die. You understand? While they're flying down from the Brooklyn Bridge, they're like, like right before they hit the water, they're like, bad idea. That might be enough. That might be enough. If someone does it with a gun, mm, probably not enough time for that. But, but certainly <coughs> there are plenty of people who regret it, but they're already like kind of hanging there. You know, they already kicked the chair out of the way and now they're like, oh, maybe that wasn't such a good plan. Or they took a bunch of Tylenol. You know, if you ever decide to kill yourself, Please try ibuprofen. Yeah. At least then you got a chance. But the, once in a while, once in a while, someone makes the mistake. Tylenol, ibuprofen, Tylenol, ibuprofen. They choose Tylenol. Bye bye. Organs shut down. They die. So much better to try to kill yourself on ibuprofen, please. Um, anyway, but 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 in that in that time, oh, you didn't know that. Yeah, ibuprofen doesn't really work. I mean, it will work, but they pump the stomach, and they're like, they're able to get it out. So, the, anyway, but while the guy's organs were shutting down, he's like, oh, this was a terrible mistake. Maybe it doesn't go to, to the, what's called the kafa kala. When's it, his hand was first? Uh, are you familiar with a, with a term called DNR? Do not resuscitate. It's like a legal document. Oh, you can make people, like, yeah, not so resuscitate. Let's, let's say, yeah. So, I want to ask, basically, because I'm eating for myself, and yeah. it's a legal document that... If they, it's a, that says basically, if I do die, if I like, if, my, if they, if, if you're the, you're the paramedic. Yeah, if the person dies, basically, we are not legal, legally, we're not allowed to resuscitate them back. Wow. So is that, is that a, is that a thing that a Jew is allowed to do? A Jew is allowed to do that if they're dying of natural causes. Yeah. Otherwise, they're not allowed. They're not allowed. Only if they're dying of natural causes, meaning what they call heroics. That's meaning the, the guy died. He's ninety-five years old. He had a heart attack. Yeah. He's now dead. So don't take out your people jumper cables. Let the guy die. The 95-year-old is. Because he doesn't want to wind up on some machines or for yeah. as a vegetable or something. So what's called heroics. An elderly person who's dying is allowed to tell the hospital or paramedics not to do heroics to keep them alive. Better they die with dignity. But... Jewish law gets more interesting if someone did. Let's say they shouldn't have, but they did. So now he's on the machines. And so you're not allowed to pull the plug. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to, no. uh, But the person who pulls the plug is the one who's busted. So like meaning if the children of the person say, pull the plug. So I don't know what happens to them spiritually. It's the person who pulled the plug. It's meaning the nurse who pulled the plug. She's the one in trouble. There's some hospitals in this country that don't do that, right? We're in Jewish law, you're not allowed to pull a plug ever for anyone. So in Jewish hospitals, if they ever put people on life support, they don't pull the plug for anything? I mean, who knows what goes on in our hospitals here because not everyone's observant. I doubt in Shari Tzedek, which is our observant hospital, I doubt they pull the plug. But it could be other hospitals do. I don't know. It's pretty expensive keeping someone on life support. Yeah. yeah. You said that, that if someone doesn't make it, uh, you know, heaven is still stuck. We don't do, uh, we don't like say, shiva and say kaddish, but how would we, 
How would we know? So because we don't know, we do sit Shiva and say Kach. The, the law is, it's not really the law, but the custom is to say, do all the rituals of death for, a, for someone who committed suicide. Um, it's also a kindness for the people who lost their loved one, right. that they can do the things that you do. And you just figure he regretted it. Yeah. So you're saying if someone attempts suicide and is not successful and then regrets it, then they, like, when they actually do die, like they're, they're not no longer subject to whatever they would have been subject to. Oh, no, they, they can do tshuva. They'll probably do tshuva for trying to kill themselves. Right, but see, so they're, whatever you were saying that, that would have happened to them if they had actually succeeded in suicide, they would have gotten stuck. That doesn't affect them anymore. No, no, they're out of that. Okay. They're no longer worried about that. And by the way, everyone should know, just as far because I also work in, professionally in, uh, in um, mental health, that everyone should know that, that suicidal tendencies are as normal as, like, breathing oxygen. It's completely normal that people have suicidal tendencies. And also, you should know that the vast majority of suicidal tendency people do not kill themselves. And also, the vast majority of those who call out for help, having either done something or about to do something, are not really suicidal people. They're people in desperate pain, and they need help badly, and it's the only way they're going to get it is by freaking everybody out and getting them to there. But I almost, my heart rate, even though I have to run and go to them, because I get several a year, where it's either they already did it or they're about to do it, the, um, I, my heart rate almost barely goes up. I have to go, I have to go be with them, I gotta go deal with it. But if they're already reaching out, it's something else. This isn't, because it's not that hard to kill yourself. It'd be like fairly high IQs, you know, like it's not that hard to kill yourself. So, so the, but it, people shouldn't feel like freaked out that they've had suicidal tendencies. Not, I don't think there's a human being who never thought about ending their own life. It's just part of the cognitive wanderings and meanderings of a man or a woman in pain, thinking, well, what if I just ended it? So that is completely normal, and someone shouldn't get obsessed with the fact that they ever thought that. And God certainly isn't like, like, how could you have thought that? God's the one who made us, and almost no human being hasn't contemplated such a thing, especially in a dark place. Clear? Yeah. Okay. Um, how did this class turn into a suicide class? Let's get away from this. <laughs> what time is that? The, the and the flow. <laughs> yeah, back to the flow. So I, I, what we were talking about was, was, that, um, was that people's caught in that place can get out on unconscious people. Uh, also, if anyone's unconscious, also don't leave them alone. So like if you have a buddy who gets all drunk and like goes total rock, you know, he's just passed out rock, you don't leave that guy alone. They, they, people can, can get, get these things, attach them in their life. I mean, the guy finally wakes up and he's got someone else's voice. You know, it's happened. It's happened. One was documented in Israel, like the television crews, filming a lady who suddenly had a man's voice. No uh, yeah, and talking, meaning not just a man's voice, it was the man. And it was his ex-wife. <laughs> it was his ex-wife who died. And they, they brought her back, and she suddenly was, was the man. And he was trying to kill her for, lack, for unfaithful behavior, which he was only realizing in the other world that, that, he, that she, she was unfaithful. And then she died in childbirth. The doctors revived her, and she, when, they, she, when she comes to in the post-op room, it's him. In her. 
So all these Kabbalists went down. Rabbi Botsri, who's like a big rabbi here in Jerusalem. All these rabbis went and like did a whole exorcism. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Live television, Israeli TV exorcism. Yeah, sure. You can find this probably on YouTube. And did it work? They succeeded, but she didn't make it. But they exorcised. Yeah, he was like killing her, and they were like trying to get the soul, her, his soul out of her, and she was like, she was like being strangled. She was being like strangled from within. Anyway, but she didn't, uh, she didn't make it. The. Uh, uh, but that that you can check that out. It was like live television, Israeli like you know primetime news. So when this, this was, I think, uh, late nineties. Late nineties. But then, but every time you're asleep and your neshama goes up, then your body is at the mercy, basically, of whatever is in your body. Sleep's not the same as that kind of unconsciousness. It's not, uh, it's not the same. Thing. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No one's getting. No one's getting uh, possessed, possessed in their sleep. So why do we wash our hands? That's a separate thing. I don't want to go. Do you want me to really go into hand washing in the morning right now? So, okay, let's just go back to the zodiac. So, even if you're a non Kabbalist, you're still Kabbalistically aligned because every holiday has a flow. Not only that, the year has flow, and the year's actually broken into four, just like the just like the month is broken into four. The year is broken into four. The first three months, which starts in two weeks, almost exactly, Rosh Hashanah, starts three months of protection. Those are called protection. Okay, it's Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev are the three months of protection. And you'll notice it's getting darker each day. By the way, everything I'm saying is about Israel. Jews who live outside of Israel, a pit of the food lives outside Israel. Because they're not, they're not connected to what I'm about to say. I mean, they can use it and grow through it, but they're, they're out to lunch, okay? I mean, it's winter, summer, summer's winter. You're in South America or South Africa, like, you know, you're, you're trying to sit in your sukkah in New York City and it's pouring rain, you know? It's like, it's not a rainy season, Sukkot. It's, it's, everything's, everything in the Zodiac for mitzvahs, commandments, has to do with the land of Israel, not New York City, Okay? No offense to everyone in New York City. You know, obviously, I go out there and work with people a lot. And when I'm feeling completely crazy, I start talking about why they should move to Israel. But <laughs> what? Yeah. My friend in Australia said that Shavuos is very difficult because it's like the middle of the winter. Ooh. So it's a really, really, really long uh, night. Oh, God. Yeah, they have to stay up all night. And it's a long night. <laughs> in America, in Israel, I mean, there's some places where you, how do you keep Shabbat? How do you keep Shabbat? Like the sun just dips below the horizon or not even. So what day is it? What day is it? Like, what's Shabbat? Ten minutes? How are you supposed to make Kiddush? And Davin? And Shachris? It's clearly Judaism was set up for the land of Israel. This is Judaism's our ancestral heritage and this is our ancestral land. And that we are forever wed to be together. And there's, there's any, anything else is just Anything else is just chasing your horses to Egypt. That's it. Chasing your horses to Egypt. What's the second three months? So the first three months are protection. That's that's you're gonna plant a seed on Rosh Hashanah. Well, you gotta cover it with earth, water lightly, you don't wanna erode the soil, like protect, protect, protect. You're planting the seed on Rosh Hashanah and you're gonna protect it. It gets darker, darker. We get to the winter solstice. 
That's the shortest day of the year. Hanukkah, we light the light on the darkest day of the year. And we're heading into the second three months, which are the theme of potential. Now you're taking what you planted and protected, and you're starting to guide that potential for three months, which ultimately springs forth into the next three months, which is spring. And that's Pesach, where we spring forth from bondage into freedom. And that's the three months of what's called actualization. So we had protection, potential, and then actualization, or actual. Then, so then we go into actualization, and that's summer, you know. Summer's here, and the time is right for dancing in the streets. Yeah, so, um, obviously not co-ed dancing in the streets, but definitely dancing in the streets. So, that's, that's the summertime. And then, uh, and then we move into the third set, the last set of three months, and that's called, that's called Reflection. It seems to always come too early. But those are the months called reflection. And, and it starts with national reflection, and then it morphs its way to personal reflection. So national reflection is, uh, Tammuz is the, the three weeks of the nation reflecting, culminating in Tisha B'Av, where we are really reflecting on our history and what we've, where we've been. And then it moves into this month, which is called Elo, where tonight is the new moon, the full moon. So we're right in the center of it, which is personal reflection, where we, can, where we now are spending a whole month in personal reflection. And that's what this month is all about. And it's really good for us, especially Jews, because Jews are known, you know, every human being is a genius. They're just genius about different things, like Pablo Picasso was a genius about art. And Einstein was genius in physics. And I know geniuses in dance, but there's also national genius, like Africans have instinctual genius. I mean, amazing. And when I'm barreling down the Jewish quarter on my mountain bike, and there's an African tour group like 200 yards away, every single one of that tour group just goes like, huh? I'm 200 yards away. A Jew? A Jew's, a Jew's like, I mean, I have to basically run into them before they even know I'm there. <laughs> and I'm going fast, you know. I'm like, flung! And, and like, this Jew's just still like, you know. What does Rashi say? You know, they're the, you know the, our genius, so the Jewish genius is analysis. That's our genius. Jews are genius at analysis. That's why we're the financial world and all that stuff. Like, we're really good at that stuff. We are great at analysis. And, but analysis is dangerous because what happens if you overly analyze yourself like we were meant to analyze Torah but you can you notice how you sometimes analyze yourself instead like we could easily analyze ourselves now obviously it's good that Jews are so analytical because because if you're gonna give them a Torah like you better give them the brains to figure it out I mean, Torah is not simple so you give this highly analyzed anal, analytical people the Torah that makes sense but the problem is so many Jews wind up analyzing themselves instead. Well, there's certain times of year where that's going to be great. And this is that time of year. Shalom, everyone. It was a pleasure, as usual. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.